The Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast is proudly presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook by using promo code RTRS. Brought to you by L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. Big Barker therapeutic dog beds. Get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky and kinetic skateboarding. Get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, Man, if we had just done the pod after the Memphis game, Sixers beat the Grizzlies in a nail biter and then lose a heartbreaker to the Celtics. And everyone seems very, very mad. We will talk about whether they should be or not. Also live Ricky five sells out in just a few minutes and Mike is out today. So we have our annual appearance. I I looked the last time was January of 22, our annual co-hosting appearance from Godner himself of the Daily Six newsletter, Derek Bodner, his once-a-year podcast appearance because he does not have his own. Um, what? You know, it, so we'll I was get. at a, a family event recently. Yeah. Um, and, you know, extended family, you sort of have a conversation. Oh, what do you do? Yada, yada, yeah. yada. Yeah. And it was very much a conversation sort of like Mike always describes where it's like, oh, you only talk about the Sixers, huh? Really? Like, right. that's that's a thing you can do? Yeah, it's a, you can you can make a living talking about the Sixers. And at one point, my brother's in attendance. I have two brothers. Yeah. One's not a basketball fan. The other one is. And I just hear the younger one mutter under his breath, like, there's only one Sixers podcast. I'm like, <laughs> you've got to be shitting me. Even in my own house, I'm getting this kind of nonsense. It was We're everywhere. unbelievable. It was unbelievable. We're everywhere. So in order to get back to him, his phone number is 4849. <laughs> Uh, if you're watching on YouTube or uh, or Spotify, if you're watching on YouTube, remember to hit the subscribe button. It helps us out and you get all of our stuff right there in your feed. So if you're watching on YouTube live or recorded, make sure you hit the subscribe button. And if you're watching on Spotify, make sure you follow us on Spotify so you get all of the podcasts in your feed. I did mention kinetic skateboarding. You know, we're heading to the end of winter, but when spring comes along, you need new gear kinetic skateboarding you need new sneakers because the ones that you have are all crudded up from the salt of the winter maybe it's time springtime kinetic skateboarding you need new t-shirts you need new hats all that stuff kinetic skateboarding go to kinetic skateboarding.com and get 9.1 percent off your first order with promo code dave silver without any further ado amos and the chef Welcome to the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Eskin, along with a guy filling in for our very own Mike Levin. That is one Derek Bodner. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic, Spike. Thanks for having me. Isn't it amazing that after all these years, we're still doing this? It is. It really is. And I've been thinking about this because Rich and I, I think, are coming up on our tenure. And it's like, how have I spent 10 years 
talking to the same freaking guy about the same freaking team, and it seems like I'm more annoyed than I ever have been. And if that isn't the essence of being a Sixers fan, it is perpetual annoyance. The It's funny. I think as we've evolved, this year is the year that Mike got more yeah. annoyed and less positive. And it is the year that also I became less angry at everything and more just sort of along for the ride. I Maybe you it's sort of like your serenity prayer moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I also think there's a thing about being a contrarian, which is obviously my nature, but like, it doesn't always mean you're the person making people mad. Like sometimes it means that you are right. the, the, the steady force while the other part is rocky. So, um, before we get started, Derek's newsletter is The Daily Six, which is we we mentioned on the podcast pretty regularly. I think even in the maybe even the last podcast with Maury, um, uh, Mike brought it up. So dailysix.com is where you can subscribe. I am a subscriber. How much is it a month now? Uh, it is five a month, 39 a year. Um, Good deal. Yeah. I think Good there's deal. probably still a link out there. If you go to daily6.com slash RTRS, I think it might be like 20% off. It might be RTRS 20. You should probably have looked that up before I came on here. But there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely something where I activated last year to come on this podcast, and I think I never deactivated it. So I'm pretty sure there's a, a discount somewhere. If you just guess the URL a couple times, you'll get there. It is great. You don't have to search out any news. It just comes right into your email <laughs> box. It's just right there. Just right there. It's less work, less work, which is what I enjoy. So, all right. So I mentioned in the filter in that I did not, watch the game the celtics game we're going to talk about the celtics game talk about the grizzlies game some other stuff i did not watch the celtics game the six or celtics game live i was watching a movie with my wife so i watched it this morning and there is this weird thing that happens that when you watch a game without being online it can sometimes provide an entirely different experience than when you are on online watching everybody else's reaction and I watched the game this morning. And while I was obviously, I knew they lost before I watched it anyway. While obviously like they lost to the Celtics again and it sucks, I walked away from it being like feeling pretty decent. And I looked at the reaction and the reaction was like, fire Doc, fire Daryl. Like this is why they'll never be able to compete. Yep. What's yep. And I, I, I don't, I don't want to be the guy like shaming everyone for being emotional. I think I'm just trying to like think to myself and ask you, I feel, I know this sounds crazy. I feel better after that game. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel about the Sixers chances? Do you feel better or worse? At well, go back to the last game that they lost to this team. And it was abysmal where you lost without yep. the Celtics didn't have three and a half of their starters. Yep. And the way, look, there are some clear concerns coming out of that game. Basically your six man, really struggled. And I think it's going to be a matchup with their, their big wings. He's going to struggle against your seventh man. And George is pretty much unplayable. That's a mild concern, especially when you don't really have a bench. Don't know what you're going to do with the center outside of PJ Tucker minutes. Yada, yada, yada. Boston has no real ability to stop Joel. And that's something where in past years, we couldn't say that because they did a real good job of sending those wings down to dig. They did a real good job of having Horford or Baines to sort of body him up on that initial contact. He, they had no chance. And I thought you all had a real good plan of attack to go out there and attack early. When they did send double teams, I thought the Sixers did a real good job of cutting off of him and getting baskets. And Boston comes away from that game, I think probably going, all right, like we're clearly a good team. They're clearly going to be the favorites for they meet in the playoffs. But they come out of that game with some concerns too. Uh, and I think, look, losing is frustrating. And people are, you know, why are you yelling at me for reacting because we lost the Celtics? 
here's the thing. They've, I think over the last four or five years, they're like nine and nine against the Celtics, which means nothing because regular season means nothing. So why are we overreacting to a regular season loss? Like if Al Horford goes out there and misses two of those threes, are we all of a sudden, does that change the equation of whether they can compete in play? No. So like, calm down. Calm down. Well, and, and again, I don't, I don't want to, my, my intent here is not to say that people shouldn't be emotional after the game. I think my intention is, is that my emotion is not negative after that. Right. Game, right. You know, is that like, it's negative in that it sucks. They lost on a buzzer beater, but like Jason Tatum's good. And by the way, I, I saw some questioning about whether Melton should have picked him up at half court and yada, yada. He's Jason Tatum. He's like six ten. He can get that shot whenever he wants. Right. There's right. no person. If he's going to make that shot, there's no person who can prevent him from making it. I don't think. That's a 20% shot that just happened to go in. It was well defended. It was well executed. Like it, he made a shot. All right. And it's part okay. of why it's great to have a player like that on your team, right? I mean, that's part of, part of the, the I, I think part of what has prevented the Sixers in past years from succeeding in the playoffs is, is a lot of things, but one of them being just a, a guy at the end of the game that can get his right. own shot and and hit it. And, J- and Jason Tatum had a bad game, but but hit that shot. So the the one thing you mentioned about so Embiid had an, an awesome game. Yep. And of all the positives to take from the game, and I think there are a few, to me, it is the biggest one, not specifically because he followed up what I think was one of the more heartening Joel game, Joel Embiid games, the Memphis game, because he his offense was bad. I mean, this has been talked to death, but his offense was bad and he still found a way to grind through it and, and make differences otherwise, which is not something that we've seen Embiid do historically. But the this game, like Horford was a guy, and there are a few of them in the league, that historically, when they're guarding Embiid, and B just can't figure it out. And he, he, and, and I, I don't think it's been physical. It's been mental. He hasn't taken sure. the time to say, how am I doing this? How am I using my physical advantages to my bed? How am I using my skill advantages? And the thing, the biggest thing I took from this is that that does not seem to be the case anymore with Horford, whether it's because of Horford has declined slightly or Joel Embiid has gotten better or maybe a both, both things. But I thought Embiid's performance against that defense and that player was particularly notable. Yeah. No, I mean, Horford really hasn't shut Joel down since the 2019-20 season, which was a minor problem because they were teammates. But I think Embiid has, <laughs> has played much better against him over the last, really, last couple of games. But I think uh, I think last night you saw that. Uh, and then the, the the two other good things, and then we'll get, I don't want to be like Mr. Positive Guy after they lost the fucking Celtics again, <laughs> but PJ Tucker, I've been, I've been, on the maybe it's the contrarian in me, but I always tend to like this kind of player. PJ Tucker has been criticized pretty roundly in the looks pretty roundly too. Criticized pretty roundly for his performance this year, but in in the Denver game, in the Memphis game, and then that in, in this game, I'm a little worried that now that Doc knows that he can is like a little more confident with him playing five that we're going to see more of it. And it, I think it's the sort of thing that will grind PJ Tucker down and we just don't need to do it that much, maybe in the big games, but I thought Tucker, not just, not just playing five, but those rebounds that were infuriating yeah. against the Sixers were now looked infuriating against the Celtics. That really was. It felt like the first time you got infuriating PJ. Uh, yes. and, and this time in a good way. And that must have been infuriating as a Celtics fan. And I do agree. I think I think PJ is going to be the primary backup center come playoff time. 
Mm-hmm. Now, how much you use that here to close out the regular season, we'll see. Doc pretty much admitted that he went away from Paul Reed last night because he wanted a veteran in there. And I think it's probably something you're going to see a lot of, maybe frustratingly so to some, uh, come playoff time. I do think you got to worry a little bit, and that's probably why we didn't see too much of it in the first half of the season of grinding PJ down. I think mm-hmm. that is a fair worry. But when we get to the playoffs, I think it's going to be a lot of it. And I do think you got to play it some because you need, you know, you play a little differently when you have PJ there at center than you do any other lineup combination. So I do think they have to use it. But given how condensed this season, uh, sc- part of the schedule is, wearing him down is a concern for sure. And did you see, I don't know who got the quote, but there was a quote from Tucker about yeah. not playing the same way every game and yeah. it being like sort of different every time. And it, it's hard to read because it was in print, but it, it read to me as frustrated. Honestly, it read to me as, or, or maybe a little realistic and a little frustrated, but they are going to have, there's only 25 games left, 24 yeah. now. Like you're going to have to figure some of these things out, how they work, you know? Yeah. Yep. I agree. Uh, uh, Harris and the other positive, like Tobias Harris had a good second half against Memphis and a good first half against the Celtics. And it seemed like there was a bit of like a six week lull there where we got old Tobias and it seems like we have a little bit and he guarded Tatum a fair amount of time and yeah. I thought did a pretty good job so he guarded Ja the previous game which is, is yep. stunning uh, yeah. a little concerning that he's he's your best option on Ja coming down a stretch but he, <laughs> I thought he did a real good job yeah a little concerning a little, a little? concerning a little yeah. bit yeah um, alright before we get to the negatives let's talk about a positive LL Pavorsky Jewelers oh jeez the most positive guy in the world if if Derek and I have been at this for a decade now LL now, now in LL's business of jewelry, he's been in it for over three decades, but he's been with the Sixers thing. Like it seems like the, the same amount of time that we have over 310 rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners. I think it's a 311 LL. I'm, I'm sure you're watching live. Just text me what the number is. Uh, rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners have gone to LL for engagement rings. And everyone who listens to the pod knows the rule. The rule is if you're getting married, you have to go to LL. We even got an email this week. The email came from Tommy. Hey, Spike, Mike, and CJ had another great LL experience. and wanted to share it as a customer testimonial of sorts. I got my fiance's engagement ring from LL, number 254. And this past Saturday, we went to get our wedding bands. The experience was super relaxing. He had what we wanted, never tried to upsell us or pressure us into anything. And we left feeling happy. The only uncomfortable part of the experience was having to explain to people how I heard about LL, which means I have to explain what the Ricky is and why it's named the Ricky, both things that a lot of people don't really get or vibe with. I get it. Thanks and love the pod. If you want to get a ring from LL Pavorsky Jewelers, which you should if you're going to get married, he wants an appointment with everyone so he can spend the proper amount of time with you. You do it by emailing him, lee at llpavorsky.com, tweeting at him at llpavorsky calling him 215-627-2252. Been in that same location for over 30 years now, 707 Walnut there in Philly. Always supports our charities, Providence Animal Center and Coded, no, not Coded by Kids anymore. I love Coded by Kids, but now it's Mama T's Community Fridge. Um, oh, L.L. Pavorsky Jewelers. No I mean, money. judging by Twitter's reaction, the only way Sixers fans are getting a ring. Yeah. Oh, shit. There it is. And to be clear, that's judging by Twitter's reaction, not mine. Twitter. I'm not yeah. saying that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, some of the, some of the, like, not so happy things about that game. Maxi has been, I think you would have to say it is, it is 
complimentary to say that he has been uneven yeah. over since his return, right? I mean, we have had some good moments. And even last night, he had a couple of buckets in the fourth. But he just looks like he doesn't know his place more than ever. Do you, can you figure out, is there something that you're noticing specifically about why it doesn't seem to be working right now for him? Yeah, it, it it's he definitely doesn't seem like he knows his place. He definitely seems like he is unsure of when to attack and when to be aggressive. Uh, you know, I think there's certainly shots that you would maybe maybe relying a little bit too much on step back jumpers, maybe not attacking the rim quite as much. But you're talking about like, you know, he'll have huge games like games against the Knicks, I think was a really good game. He'll have a Houston game. But outside of that, he's just really struggled to find his rhythm. And I think he does need to be more aggressive when he's on the floor next to Harden. You know, they, they had them out there to start the second and the fourth. And when you have that kind of defensive concerns, he has to be aggressive to make up for that. I don't think he's been aggressive enough. I think he's turning down shots more often, uh, jumpers more often than he was earlier in the season. And I think he's just not really finishing at the rim the way he was either. And he's just, he doesn't seem like he's 100% confident in where he wants to attack. And when your entire value is based off of that, it's been frustrating. It is, I mean, I think they're going to stick with Melton in the starting lineup uh, for the rest of the season, but it will be interesting to see what they do going forward because you can't have Maxi coming off the bench long-term. Like, it's got to change eventually. And that, that dynamic of Harden and Maxi being a tough fit isn't going to necessarily, like, Maxi's not going to grow three inches. So I'm very curious how they handle right. this going forward. Yeah. The, well, it also is possible. I mean, if... It would be small, but if Harris wasn't there, starting Melton over ha starting Melton over Harris with Maxi in there would be interesting. Or if they even honestly, Jalen McDaniels, like I think there are lineup combinations that can make the Harden thing, the Harden Maxi thing, more tenable. You know, by putting a couple of guys who are better point of attack defenders in there. Sure. But sort of the when you have Harris in there and Tucker, like everything, everything is small and slow when you're looking at the current starting lineup with Maxi in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, this is not surprising for Maxi. I mean, he's young, he is small, and this is part of the concern or the, the thought about, you know, people early on, me even included, saying he was the team's second best player, or if you're you're saying he's the team's third third primary scorer and he's at that age him looking around this team currently and saying and not knowing totally where he fits in it's not surprising i no. don't think you know nope. yeah. i agree i agree and i think one of the real things that was encouraging was he really became a a knockdown catch and shoot shooter especially in the corners he was automatic and i think that's where it's like you just see a little bit of hesitation now that you didn't see earlier in the season towards the end of last season i think he's got to get the, that back because once that happens, that sort of opens up some of those driving lanes that opens up attack and closeouts and makes those drives a little bit easier. And it just seems very little is coming easy to him right now. And I think, you know, part of that is the role and adjusting to it. But he's still playing 30, 32, 33 minutes a night. He has opportunity. He's not making the most of them. I think he's, uh, he's got to get his confidence back. I think, too, it's funny when people complain about the all-bench lineups, but Maxi's in that lineup. Right. Yeah. Because th theoretically, you could have some of the same people saying that he should be starting, right? Yep. But part of it is if they're going to stagger Harden and and Embiid more, that means that you're more likely going to find fewer minutes with Maxi as like primary initiator guy, yeah. which yep. to your point about uh, catch and shoot is important. But without him getting those moments where he's 
he's like sort of the guy. It feels like it's hard for him to get the juice going that he seems to need for his game to really shine. Yeah. Um, Harden had a weird game. There were a few turnovers that were just like, I hate to project because it's almost impossible to really do this, but there's something about his play and body language in some big games like that reminds you it almost seems like he's just not there completely mentally and there were a couple of turnovers where i'm just like if you're gonna be the guy with the ball that can't can't be you you know it was a weird game from him yeah he has those moments with uh with turnovers though at times uh you know i i will say i thought his defensive effort in the first half was really good Mm -hmm. and surprisingly good like he got back a couple times in transition and was like whoa all right so this is He's a uh, he, he's fully locked in here, uh, so I think he was pretty locked in on that end of the court, and he he was against uh, he was against Memphis too. I think he's actually had a pretty good stretch of a defensive play, which I don't think I've said very many times during his his year here in Philly. But some of the turnovers were certainly maddening. It looked like Boston's length got to him a little bit. You know, he missed a couple of probably step backs that if he makes it might change the way he plays. Uh, but he was not. I mean, and look, he's been very good for quite a while. So yep. an off night. I don't want to overreact too much. But when it's an off night against a really good defense and one that might be a tough matchup for him, you might be prone to a little bit of overreaction. Uh, I think mostly he was just off last night. And that's, you know, a lot of how we talk about this loss, like Maxi had an off night, Harden had an off night. How much of that is Boston? How much of that is just some players were due for an off night? And obviously Tatum wasn't the Tatum you expect either. Everything's going to change when the playoffs come around. But that's why I think like just a more measured response to the loss might be, uh, well, it might be worthwhile. By the way, that's why they're going to be hard to beat is because they have physically, defensively, they will have players who can yeah. defend Maxi and Harden. Yep. You, you know, like there's there's not, there's no one to really pick on when you're playing. You really are the anti-Sixers. Yes. Like you're just like one of Tatum and Brown, like on the entire roster. You sort of have one in McDaniels, but obviously when you watch and play offensively, we're not talking about the same thing. It would just be great to have one really switchable wing and it seems like that's all they have. And then they bring you know, white and Brogdon off the bench. You're like, well, let's counter with shake Milton. And it's like, we're yeah. talking about a different sport almost. White is, I mean, you know, I, I don't really good, really good. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. A really good yeah. Really and I got Brogdon for so cheap. And I know eventually the concern is his knee is going to give out, but until then they got a pretty good freaking player. The, uh, and then the last thing, as far as a negative, look, Paul Reed was not good. He, he made a couple of, Dumb Paul replays. I don't know why he was standing in the corner on that one play. Uh, it, yeah. I don't seemed... think Paul knows why either. Okay. <laughs> but those line, I, it's, if you were watching the game, like the problem with those minutes, though he did not play well, is, I mean, Nyang, if Jordan Nyang is missing shots and Maxi's missing shots, like, I don't know how those lineups are going to survive. Well, and uh, on the other end, George is missing shots and he's being asked to match up with Jalen Brown. Like that's not like there's one transition play where Brown got out and you could see, you know, George basically like trying to like grab him and hold him on because he knew he had no chance of of catching up with him in transition. Uh, It was was pretty much like a defensive pass interference where he was just trying to prevent the pass. It was it's a real tough matchup for George. And he's got to if he wants to play any minutes there, he's got to make every shot. He wasn't last night. And Doc's credit. Hmm. I want to be careful how I say this. I thought Doc had a quick hook on him because I think Doc knows that that's going to be a real tough matchup. I was surprised that he brought the Reed-George frontcourt back out there in the first 
or fourth quarter. Uh, it was a real quick 5-0 run. I think Doc pulled the plug on that after about 70 seconds or so. But you could have done without that 5-0 run. I thought that was pretty predictable. Well, he he said that he thought PJ needed a breather. Yeah, well, I just I yeah. would have staggered. I would have staggered yeah. so PJ had a little more minutes at center. So that's a draw. The uh, that Mike and I have been arguing about Yang in the playoffs for like the entire time he's been here. I just in real playoff series, yeah. I just I don't know how he's going to survive. I mean, we've seen players picked on in the playoffs before, but he's going to be. I mean, and really, you're talking about Boston, you're talking about Milwaukee, and you're talking about Phoenix if you get there. Like, yeah. pretty much any other matchup, I think he can play a role. Sure. But again, it seems like Boston's going to be real tough, which is a struggle because you really rely on George and his spacing and his, his gravity, and that might go away. So we do have a, a voicemail line, and people left a lot of messages after the game last night, 833-LICK-FACE. But some of them were positive. So I just wanted, before we leave this game, and whether it was positive or negative, I want to show the the what the mad people sounded like and what the positive people sounded like. So the mad people I would say is first. Hey guys, fucking doc. I mean, the game in Boston, Blake Griffin, wide open four fucking threes here. You know, let's, I mean, we know Horford's going to make every fucking open three again. It's like four in a row at the fucking game. I feel so fucking bad for MB, man. He played his ass off, did everything he needed to do to win. On offense, at least, and he was, you know, made his foul shots at the end, scored everything. Harden was good. Here's the fucking problem: we have six guys that are playoff players on this team. Like Niang can't play in the playoffs. We know that. Even if he's making a three here and there, he can't be on the fucking court and hit threes. Like Maxi's fucking lost. Tobias and Tucker, really good first half. Jack Diddley squat in the second half. Like nothing. Like I'm beat walk I saw him be walking off the court after that three got you know, the full court shot got waved off and his head's all down. He's like, What more can I fucking do? When you trade for hard, that's an all in trade. And I understand that you know they don't want to be a repeat tax offense taxpayer like the third time or whatever, and so they can spend more next year. They're basically saying we're not good enough this year. You're throwing in the towel for twenty twenty three. We're not good enough to beat Boston. We could beat Milwaukee if everything goes right. Maybe beat them in seven games. They're, just, they're not quite the team they were two years ago. But Boston, I mean, like, we're not good enough. We have no bench. Maxie's a six-man. He's good, usually. Jalen McDaniels is okay. And that's it. Like, that's not good enough. Like, Daryl, that's not good enough. You, We have a 2029 pick. You have to use it now. I mean, I don't know what was out there, but when you trade for Harden, it's like now is the time, and you don't, and you're pushing it back a year. Another year older, hard. Another year older, and we know we're not good enough to win it this year. Fucking suck. So that was one side of the coin. The other side of the coin was more hey, positive. Hey, Mike. Uh, this is Nate calling from Canada. I think today's game is just proof that the Sixers are contenders. They are legitimate contenders. I'm calling at halftime. It's 56 to 50. The Celtics could come back and very well win this game. But I think this game is just proof that we can hang with anybody in a seven game series. We can do it. Now it is notable. He left that message at halftime. <laughs> yeah, we did get both sides. I, I really did. I, I, I do think. I do think that there are concerns to come away with it, but I think ultimately, um, like they're going to be an underdog against the Celtics. They were always yeah. the, the Celtics are the best team in the NBA. Like they're going to be an underdog, but I do think I'm trying to think what I think. I think there's like, 
if they play the Celtics in the playoffs, Celtics have home court. I'm saying I think there's an 81% chance the Celtics win. Yeah. Is I, that I probably right? would have said like 70, 30, 75, 25, somewhere in that range. Sure. Yeah. They're, they should be the favorites. They're a better team. They're a deeper team. They have fewer weaknesses. It's harder to pick on them. But like at 30%, things that have a 30% chance of happening happen every day. And the Sixers are good enough. Mostly Joel Embiid's good enough. And they've made a couple of good moves to put them in a spot where a 30% chance could happen. Could be an injury. Could be a lucky shot. Could be an off night for the Celtics. But you're, you're in the conversation. And are they the favorites? No. And I think last night probably showed you reasons why. But I don't think they're like so far off that you couldn't conceivably. Like I, I think there are years where you, this team has no shot of getting to the conference finals. That you just didn't believe in them. Oddly, that Horford Richardson year. I don't think this is that year, though. Like, I think they're, I think this is arguably the best team of the Joel Embiid era. Certainly the best offensive unit of the Joel Embiid era. And offense has always been, when you get in the second round, has always been his team's issue. Uh, I think they're, I think, I think people are, for a team that just won, like, 14 out of 17, it's, like, if this would have been a loss to any other team and not the Celtics, yeah. I think it's a very different reaction. By the way, part of the reason that it's the best team Joel Embiid's ever had is because it's the best Joel Embiid's ever been. Sure. Like, you know, the only team to compare it to is the 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 Butler Harris Reddick team, which by the way was put together during the season, you know, and and had a Joel Embiid in the playoffs who was like fifty percent. Like it's the it's really just gonna come down to whether he's he's gotta be fucking on in the playoffs. We need yeah. to see games like this every time, even when they lose. You no, know, I mean look that 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 Jimmy uh Tobias team was way better defensively, of course, but you had like, you know, you gave the ball to Jimmy in the half court and you put Ben in the dunker spot and he pouted. Okay, then you give the ball to Ben. You can't really have Jimmy off ball because he spent three months refusing to shoot. That was a team that they were very much trying to figure out how to play alongside of each other. And I think that showed in the playoffs offensively. This is a, a really good squad. It's just not as good as Boston. <laughs> I don't know how to spin that to make it sound positive. I'm going to ask Derek what he thinks of uh, the jobs Doc and Daryl have done right after. Oh boy. Yeah, sorry. We talk about Big Barker therapeutic dog beds. Rebel loves his Big Barker. Man, I love Rebel. Talk a bit about how much I love my dog and how much you probably love your dog. Just when you've had a bad day and no one seems to like you, which happens maybe more often to me than other people, you get home, your dog is happy to see you every time. Unconditional love. So your job is to give that dog its best life and keep that dog healthy. It's your only fucking job. Your dog cannot be healthy enough sleeping on that bed that you have it sleeping on unless it's a big barker. Go to bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Now, it's been proven by PenVet that it actually, it keeps your dog's joints, you know, healthier as your dog ages, even younger dogs, all that stuff. But what I would just want you to use logic. I want you to look at the dog bed that your dog is sleeping on, which looks probably like, you know, puffy and looks like a cloud. You don't want to sleep on a cloud. You need support for your joints. You don't want to sleep on a pillow. Big Barker is supportive. It is made to be that way. And it's called the Big Barker, but they have beds for tiny dogs, the Barker Jr., all the way up to giant dogs, the extra large Big Barker. And if you go to bigbarker.com slash Ricky, you get the Big Barker with two processed pup patches. One you put on the bed, the other one on whatever piece of clothing you'd like. 10-year warranty, the foam doesn't flatten or they replace it for free. One-year at-home trial. If you don't like it, your dog doesn't like it, full refund, and they pay for the shipping. Handmade in the USA, Big Barker dog beds. 
you're not going to work. There you uh, go. Sorry, I was. Uh, it's all good. It's all good. Before we get to the doc and Daryl, I have to get in some kind of like a rhythm to know, like because barking is not really something you just do naturally. So like <laughs> I, I feel like that's something you get into a rhythm of. For sure, I think. And Mike's in the rhythm. You weren't in the rhythm. As you long as, as nobody's going to clip that and make me like Zach Lowe, then I'm happy. His there was something wrong with his bark. It sounded <laughs> like it was backwards or something. Be- <laughs> Before we get to the uh, Daryl Doc stuff, I, it's time to talk about. Um, Live Ricky 5, which is sold out. It's April 9th at Underground Arts. Um, we got a couple of voicemails about it. Uh, here's one. Hi, Spike and Mike. Sharif Alshagar here. Two-time emailer, first-time caller. Huge fan of the pod. I'm trying to find an excuse to call, and I think this is it. This morning at about 10 a.m. with one second on the clock, my heart was broken. My close friends, Eric, Josh, and myself, had this dream to be present together for live Ricky back in 2020. We were ticket holders, and unfortunately, we couldn't make it because of COVID. As soon as we saw live Ricky 5 was back, we had a dream to be back there. Starting our Sunday afternoon at Buffalo Billiards, watching the Sixers game with a stateside Bakker of four, and making our way to Underground Arts with a John's Rose pork cheesesteak, sauteed onions, and warm cheese. Chanting out the mud for B-Ball Paul, seeing CJ in real life and how tall he actually is, mm. admiring Mike's witness and charm, and taking in Spike's golden locks and one-time-a-month shampoo hair under the lights. These dreams have all been sent down the drain as we were unsuccessful buying tickets this morning. I'm calling here as a vulnerable 30-year-old man, standing outside in the cold, down on my hands and knees, down, down bad. If anyone happens to not be able to go to this event, we would love two tickets and would happily reimburse those. So Josh, Eric, and I can finally make it to Live Ricky 5. COVID stopped us first. The internet stopped us second. But we refused to back down. And then we got a more upset one. Yo, yo, dickheads! This is bullshit. Mm -hmm. 10-0-0 in one second. And I don't get my fucking ticket. Fuck. So there we go. Um, we we were told it was the by Rich over at Underground Arts. It was the fastest sellout they've ever had at Underground Arts. I I go from I'm never happy with anything. And Rich called me. He was like, "Hey, psyched you guys sold out." I'm like, "Nah, I'm actually mad that we like there's people that are upset that they can't go." Truthfully. I couldn't handle the mental stress of doing Franklin Music Hall and having that many tickets to sell and uh, that sort of a show to produce. So we did it this way. I promise for everyone who is there, we will make it totally worth it. Um, for everyone who isn't able to go, I apologize. And we will find a way to, uh, I'm sure we'll fucking do it again because I can't stop myself. But um, I just want to say thank you to everybody who bought tickets. I can't believe it sold out so quick. It's fucking crazy. Um, we did get a message from Glenn Robinson III, um, uh, who is not able to go. Uh, CJ? It's Glenn Robinson III, former Sixers player. I won't be at Live Ricky 5, uh, the victory tour, but B-Ball Paul will. And um, Daryl, I need you to play Paul, for real. <laughs> but uh, the Ricky is the only Sixers pod. We appreciate what y'all doing. Y'all keep it going. Obviously, he won't be able to make it there because he and Alec Burks are still on their way <laughs> to Philadelphia. Um, 
Unbelievable. I've, I'm really psyched for the show. Uh, Easter night and uh, B-Ball Paul will be there, of course. And we have other things to announce coming up very soon when Mike gets back. So thank you again to everyone who went. I don't have any extra tickets. I'm sorry. It's a small room. It's seated, all that kind of stuff. So I said, I, I, haven't, I haven't had like your take on Doc and Daryl. First of all, Daryl. So he was on the pod last time. It they they have a similarity in that every time the Sixers win, you don't hear their names. And every time the Sixers lose, you hear Doc and Daryl's names that they haven't done enough. Just like since he got here, what do you think of the job Daryl's done? If you had to give it a grade, what would you give it? I mean, somewhere in the... You know, I think one thing that's probably not discussed enough is getting off of the Simmons situation. And uh, some people say, oh, well, Simmons forced his hand. But like part of the reason Simmons forced his hand is because Daryl was looking to trade him previous trade deadline, too. Right. Now, whether or not that was just because, oh, we can get James Harden or Daryl saw maybe something coming. uh, I think Daryl would certainly deny that he saw something coming, but we don't know. You know, I do think that we can complain about the depth. And it's not what it needs to be, but it's certainly better than it was when he got here. And there are a number of moves from Melton to getting Seth Curry, which eventually led to James Harden, yada, 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 drafting Maxi, which I don't think gets included in there all that much, in part because he was probably leaning on his, his staff that was already there. But it was a move that happened during his tenure. I would certainly give him a B-ish range grade. You know, I think the backup center is a thing that he overlooks, probably intentionally. I don't think he wants to invest resources in someone who is only going to play eight minutes per game in a playoffs, but holy also crap, wants those to eight give minutes. us content also yeah. wants to give us content. But holy it's crap. A- those eight minutes are frustrating. Uh, so I think he overlooks that a little bit. I think the guys that he signs there are not, it's, it's amazing for an analytically driven GM uh, who was just on his podcast talking about how he doesn't value rebounding at a team level as high because he thinks it's going to even out in the playoffs. He then goes out and signs Deandre Jordan and, you know, Drummond and players who really only add rebounding. So I think there's been a blinder there. And certainly PJ, too expensive, too many years. House isn't a good enough NBA player. You can nitpick some things, but I think more or less, I think it would be a positive grade. Not an A, but a positive grade. I think the, I agree, uh, generally. I think all you have to say to talk about what he walked into is they had $110 million a year tied up in Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and Al Horford. When yeah. he got here. And I'm not saying that Horford's not a positive player. He is, but everybody knew they had to get rid of him. And yeah. that, that and put Horford him, knew. <laughs> yeah. Horford wanted out too. Yeah. Everybody, Embiid wanted him gone. Horford wanted out of here. Like he, he has been put in. And it's funny when I bring up Maxi, I get, well, he didn't have anything to do that with that because he probably didn't make that pick. But I can assure you if it was a bad pick, we would be talking about sure. the job he did. So I think the one thing Honest and and the other thing, and this isn't excuse making, it's just like sort of reality. The reality is, is that I don't think James Harden is taking what he took unless he was gonna give that money to PJ Tucker and Daniel House. Yeah. Like that's exactly what happened. He like it's one hundred percent what happened. So everyone who thinks they, you know, house is not playable, obviously. Doc does not like him. And PJ Tucker hopefully will be a positive piece in the playoffs. And they did give him too many years and but it seemed like Harden owed him something, you know, like, so it, it, it just sort of fucking is what it is. Um, the, the only thing that I would criticize him about, and he tried, but like, I just would have 
traded Ben the year before. And I, but who knows what other deals were there and what other opportunity they had, but like they sort of wasted a year by not trading, wasted two years almost by not trading in there. So. Yeah. And the other, only other thing I would really question, I, I focus way more on the big moves than I do the little moves. And that might come back to bite me a little bit because the little moves leave you with a bench. that's not quite up to par. Sure. But you know, the only other thing you'd question is Halliburton, whether they should have pursued him a little more aggressively, mm-hmm. but with the way Harden's playing, like it's hard to say that he doesn't raise our championship equity this year, maybe next year in a very significant way. And that it was a, like, he's playing a lot better. He's playing a lot better. He's, and he's gotten better as the season's gone on, by the way, Harden. Yeah, I, it, yeah. some like, of the defenders he's dusted recently. Even even last night, he had a couple off the dribble. One of them where he was, looked like he was a little too open at the rim. Uh, but he's dusted, you know, whether it's Claxton or Mobley, or he's had some really good moments lately. And by the way, like, of course, like I will bring, the, I haven't brought it up lately because I'm, I don't want to say it every time. If he fucks up in the playoffs again, like that will suck. But, yeah. but. But judging him for what he's doing now, it would be unfair to say that Harden has played anything but good. And by the way, the guy they traded him for is not even in the rotation for the Nets. Like he's like voluntarily not playing. So, yeah. you know, fucking crazy. What That's about? Great though. I don't even have to talk about that. I'm so yeah. happy. So I love happy. talking about it. I love <laughs> no, I've I've had my fill. I've had yeah. Oh, I have. And I I work with two of the biggest Nets fans in the world, and I. They, because they're just going through it now, and obviously everything their entire Ben Simmons experience went so much faster than ours did. You know, yeah. they went through every emotion just much quicker. I could talk about it forever. I'm fascinated. <laughs> I just, I really could. And then, Doc, it, it's really hard to parse. I think. Oh, go ahead. No, well, go ahead. It's just hard to parse because we don't know how much. It's sort of like Charlie Manuel. I'm not saying Doc is Charlie Manuel, but you would say that Charlie Manuel's value was in like clubhouse management and everybody wanted to play and blah, 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 blah. Now I don't look at the Sixers and go, wow, they're all fucking gamers all the time. But I do know that it is a, a complicated locker room as far as egos go and personalities go with Harden and Embiid specifically as the leaders, neither one of them leader like on the court or off the court mentality so i i do think there are some things that we don't know so i think generally he gets graded a little unfairly because he doesn't get any credit when things go right so sure that's sort of my doc thing where are you would you ask pop that question <laughs> sorry when you when you buy a soundboard you have to use it every now and then. uh and that is one wow that stays dueling on soundboards cj <laughs> don't let mike know that that's possible please <laughs> um Look, I think there's, there's, I th- and I think you're right. I think when Doc does something well, nobody wants to give him credit because it's a talent winning. Yeah. And when you weather what the Sixers did injury wise, like he, earlier in the year, you have to get some credit. Are there, do I really care all that much though? No, like I don't, if, if, you know, you're going through college and you're talking about like each exam and what percentage of the grade that's going to be, Doc hasn't earned even 25% of his grade yet. Like 75% of Doc's grade is the playoffs. And do I have my concerns? Absolutely. And a lot of that you could see last night with the slow to adjust and some of the, you know, not staggering PJ like we talked about earlier. So you didn't have Reed and Yang as your front court. Um, I have those concerns in a big way. And 
it's hard for me to really grade him. I think he's done a fine job in the regular season, but one that doesn't inspire the kind of confidence I think you would want as a Sixers fan for what's going to happen here to come. And I think that's the big thing. And I think some things like benching Maxi are funny because of the way he tries to spin it as it being Maxi's idea. We'll see. Three starting lineups. But those three. are the kind of three starting lineups. I've only seen one since. But those are yeah. the kind of things where a couple of years down the line, if Maxi gets unhappy, you look back on and you go, well, was that really worth it? And especially with the way that that lineup hasn't fixed any defensive concerns, I'm not sure that's going to work. You know, I'm not sure that's having the kind of results they wanted. But for the most part, I think coaching is overrated, especially in the regular season. Now, it's very important in the playoffs in the second and the third round. That's why I just, I don't, like, Doc, C+. Plus so far in regular season, but I don't really care about the regular season. Yeah. And he's failed in the playoffs a bunch of times. Like he has for sure. And if he, if he does again, by the way, like he'll probably get, he probably won't be here next year. And that, that whole thing about whether he gets fired or doesn't get fired. I just believe is far more complicated than I, I also think, by the way, that like much like Maury doesn't think the, the backup center is that important. I think he probably, like unless there's a huge problem, he probably would rather not replace the coach than replace the coach. But it's fair to be reminded that Doc Rivers got hired before Daryl Morey sure. and firing him is like, I, I just think politically within the organization is a little more complicated than if he had hired him. Slightly. Yeah, probably, probably. I do think like if, if, if they don't get out of the second round, I think it would be tough to not say they need some kind of change. Oh, and sure. I think Daryl, if he really wants to change a coach, I think he would probably have the opportunity to do so. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, before we get to our, uh, our, I'm going to make Derek sit through some, uh, some listener emails. DraftKings Sportsbook is the presenting sponsor of the Rights Ricky Sanchez podcast. We're actually looking for something special to do at Live Ricky 5, only for the people in the room from DraftKings Sportsbook. Always been a, a supporter of our weird shit, even when we want weird bets about Ben Simmons and whether he'll hit a free throw or not. Maybe it's time for another Ben Simmons prop. Of course, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers, if you're new, if you listen to Ricky, how are you new? But if you are, Bet $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get 150 bucks in bonus bets if your team wins by using code RTRS when you sign up. Again, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, use code RTRS. Plus, get a shot at even bigger payouts with stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NBA winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. I did have multiple same-game parlay failures in the, uh, the final... I don't know if I'm allowed to say the the S word in the final Eagles game of the year, though my wife won two same game parlays and walked away with $347 had never bet before in her entire life. So she used the promo code though. Download the app now use code RTRS. New customers can place $5, $5 in any pregame money line bet and get $150 in bonus bets. If your team wins only a DraftKings sports book with code RTRS minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right. What do we got? Uh, that, that S word thing is something you really don't know about until you get in the industry, too. Was the, oh, you mentioned did, you don't know if you're allowed to say it. Yeah. Did you get crazy? Did, did you get uh, did you get wrist slapped for saying the S word? No, or, no. Uh, but like uh, at one point, you just go, why am I always saying the big game? And then you oh, ask right. around. And yep. Do you know when the last time Ben did make a free throw was? <sighs> when? It was against the Sixers like a month ago. 
That was the last time he made a film. Yeah. And before that, by the way, he had gone about five weeks without making it's a film. It's been a while. It's been a while. It's fucking crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. Before we get to the voicemails and the emails, the hard to stomach YouTube comment of the week, this one comes from Summonus369. Now this came, normally we're taking the comments from the show pods, but this one, CJ came from the Mac McClung reel, right? When So Mike and I were debating whether Mac McClung should get a shot with the Sixers. Of course, Mike... Just a fucking killjoy for no reason whatsoever saying that Mac McClung oh, swerved off the road. I couldn't believe it. A young player who's gives a lot of effort and is athletic. And Mike's like, nah. Yeah. Awesome. I, I think Mike has ulterior motives. But like the <laughs> the the uh the Mac McClung hive came out of the woodwork and left this comment. You have all caps, no clue what you're talking about, bro. Sorry. You say you watched him at Georgetown and Texas Tech three plus years ago. What about G League Rookie of the Year for someone not drafted? What about 44-point game, 40-point game, 35-point game, 32-point game, game after game, G League, as well as triple doubles? Look at his three-point percentage this year. You need to do research before you blab away like you just did because so many of you live in your little social media bubbles like <laughs> Trumpy did and just regurgitate the same old BS Watch the new NBA one-hour video of Mac and tell me he can't play. You are nuts, and like so many of you are wrong. Namaste. Well, after that, I have no opinion on Mac McClung. Yeah, don't. I'm not, don't. I'm not stirring that. Uh, this comes from Mark. Writes rickysanchez at gmail.com. Writes rickysanchez at gmail.com. Is it possible Embiid hates Al Horford more than he hates Ben Simmons? What do you uh, think? Where would you rank them? It seems like George Niang hates Ben Simmons the most. George, which is funny because they never played together. They practiced yeah. together maybe once. Yeah. Uh, no, I would say there's more. I wouldn't, I'm not going to use the word hate because you never know yeah. what people truly feel. I would say there's more animosity towards Ben just because it had more of an impact. Like, yeah. Al was sure. a one year thing. Yeah. The, the, I mean, there's a lot. Like, if Ben works out, like, we're having a very different conversation. There's a, a lot of opportunity lost with that one. The Horford thing is funny because when you think back to it, and we all talked ourselves into it, you're like, if you're Embiid, their big free agent signing was a guy that plays the yeah. same position. Yep. Yep. He's fucking crazy. Yep. Right? Yep. What do you think about it? And really, when you talk about Daryl, and he doesn't want to invest anything more than minimum contract on a backup center, and they invested $109 million. Yep. And by the way, they were pretty good when Joel was off the floor that year. It's the one sure. year they were pretty It's just you can't spend $109 million on that. No. Yeah. Non-basketball question. What kind of mental health resources does the Ricky provide its employees? In the past month or so, Mike has said he would kill a 12-year-old, promised to set himself on fire, and threatened to fight Daryl Morey. There were a lot of threats in that last podcast. <laughs> there were. I, Which is funny, because I, I feel like you guys are pretty welcoming guests. Uh, Mike yeah. was Mike was on a mission in the last podcast. Yeah. Good on him. Good on him. Uh, Maybe a that, few fewer threats, but good on him. I give... I give uh, I give Daryl a lot of credit for coming on the podcast, knowing what Mike is going. The real question is whether he comes on again, because that was the <laughs> roughest Mike has ever been on him. Yeah. Yeah. But Daryl sat there and sat there and took it. I guess he didn't have much of a choice. Um, Eight three three Lickface is the voicemail number. Hey Spike, Mike, CJ. Hey, I just wanted to update you. So yeah, I finished. I cleaned up the couch, but the point is. Now that I've thought about it for longer, the loss really just felt like a punch in the dick. And I just don't think any team has the capacity to punch me in the dick like the Sixers. And I also 
really believe that they're going to make the finals, not because they're good enough, but because that would provide them the best opportunity to punch me in the deck. It is an interesting theory. Well, can you imagine losing oh. four championship games in a calendar year? Oh, um, it would be quite a moment for Philadelphia, both to get to all four and then lose all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he's right. That would be the exact way to get punched in the dick. Like that would be, that would be, uh, we're used to second round exits. Yeah. Getting your hopes up would be tough. I think losing in the conference finals to Boston might be a bigger punch in the dick than like losing to the Warriors or something. Now losing to Jokic would be an, an, an yeah. enormous punch in the yeah. dick. And for They're me, really good. my specific dick, um, if it ever had to do podcasts after playoff games after the second round, because I'm so fucking exhausted by then, I mean, my, my, my dick and balls would be so black and blue from all of the punching and the dick up until that point for them not to win. Just, I would be in real trouble. I they, uh, they they lose to Jokic in the finals. Is that a tougher or easier podcast than after Sam resigned? Oh, I had no problem. I was excited to do the after okay. Sam one. The, the At Jok- least they had material to work with. Yeah, and it was interesting, and I think it was sort of like unsurprising. And there's no one mad at me for that. That if Jokic beats Embiid in the finals, and Embiid doesn't fucking average sixty or something, and give me some ammunition, the whole city of Denver, <laughs> just like I will be in so much trouble. That <laughs> um, a uh, couple more. Uh, Rice Ricky Sanchez at gmail.com. This comes from Sean. Hello. JJ Reddick seems to be dabbling in the intersection of philosophy and neuroscience. Would love to hear Spike's perspective on the attached tweet in which JJ Reddick says, bring it up here. Does nostalgia lead to delusion? Does our own personal experience and viewpoint lead, lead to delusional be to delusional? What if our eyes presented with very clear evidence lie to us? Some things to consider. Um, I don't know. JJ seemed like he was going through it after everybody was mad at him for arguing with Chris Russo about three-point shooter. And then Dominique Wilkins said he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And I think that was sort of like a weird subtweet. I can't tell. I've looked at JJ's Twitter and he's like arguing with people who disagree with him. And I can't tell if that makes me feel more at one with JJ <laughs> or if it is like his, his like performative narcissism that is like refusing to believe that anyone could possibly disagree with him. I can't tell. Look, I have nothing bad to say about former <laughs> guests of the podcast, JJ right. Reddick. Right. What a moment. What a moment he, that he was. He helped me, helped me troll you in the best way possible. So he I have did. nothing negative to say about JJ. He did. Um, if, uh, you know, you always say you get the Ricky one year. Well, if JJ helped me troll you, then he gets the the lifetime. Right. Sure. That's fair. That's fair. I remember, but quite a, but it set us, it set me off on like a fucking mission after that during the, the, uh, what's it called during the pandemic to get every fucking guest I could. Oh no, you guys do a great job getting guests. Yeah. And that's yeah. one thing that we don't even pursue all that much because like when we interview someone, it has, it's, it's, it's coming from a different place when you cover them. Yeah. Whereas, which again, I give you credit for because the last one with Daryl, wasn't you know this is a very different tone um but i think you guys do agree like when when you guys were getting presidential candidates like what the fuck is going yeah, on? yeah. they were bored they couldn't leave their home um it, one more voicemail one more email uh 833 lickface hey spike and mike 
big fan of the washing the hair topic. Also a big fan of the how do you wipe topic. Now, I think we should combine the two and find out how often do you wipe. I'd like to talk more about you go buy some anti-itch cream. Uh, can't wait to hear you guys talk about this. Um, Daryl, I think, thought we were picking on him when I asked him yeah. how much he washes his hair. Well, because if you if you if you hadn't listened to the podcast beforehand, right. like whenever you ask someone, like, "Hey, do you actually wash your hair?" That's not really a positive lead-in, you know. That's because of big shampoo. Big shampoo <laughs> has you believing that if you don't wash your hair, it's disgusting and it's full of oil. It's supposed to be full of oil. If you go on my Twitter right now, there's a YouTube thing. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to use the shampoo to wash out the oil and then put conditioner in your hair that puts oil back in the fuck is going on i'm pro daryl how often do you wash your hair I, I i just do it out of habit it's every time every day I, let's be honest like my concern with my hair isn't the quality of my hair it's a quantity so like just wash the fucking thing mm. shouldn't do it um you're probably how, right i've just never yeah. really thought about it until you're you make me question my existence more than any podcast <laughs> which is just strange <laughs> you q-tip guy no no okay. i did learn that one a while ago okay all right yeah kevin o'connor also not a uh a q-tip guy he's just like a noted non-q-tip guy and final email uh, i thought this was interesting and i thought you would be a good person to answer it um how often do you clean your privates? No, no, no. This comes from <laughs> rightsrickysanchez at gmail.com. This comes from Blade Shield. The Nets just extended Jacques Vaughn through the 26-27 season and instead of exercising the team option for next year. This is coming off the heels of benching Ben Simmons, who they traded Harden for and signed to a huge contract. Either Vaughn has some huge balls or he has the support from ownership. I wonder over the years how much support Brett Brown and Doc have had when it came to playing Ben and playing time. I remember Elton Brand told you guys before he took the job, he was asked the question about the siding between two players during the interview. He didn't say which player he chose, but it was obviously between Ben and Joel. And I wonder how much the ownership was all in on Ben or all, or all out on Joel. Maybe it was in part because of how much support Joel showed Hinky. One thing is for sure, Brian Colangelo definitely preferred Ben over Joel. My question to you is, do you think Brett Brown and Doc have had so as much support when it comes to Ben as Vaughn does from ownership? And do you think it was more being all in on Ben or being out on Joel? So first, I think that guy, the Joel Ben conclusion he came to, I think was wrong. I don't think that's what Elton was referring to. Oh, really? Yeah. So that was um, a question. If anyone wants to go back, that was when he was on Live Ricky three. And that was he, that was the year Jimmy. That was a Jimmy yes. signed trade year. Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I think that was Jimmy Ben. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And by the way, oh that's, boy. Well, but, but by the way. Like in retrospect, it's we've talked about this on the pod. In retrospect, would you have rather kept Jimmy than Ben? Like, yes. But at the time, that would have been it would have taken some serious, serious foresight and some serious guts. Like nobody yeah. trades twenty-three-year-old all-stars in the second or third year of their rookie scale contracts. Like that just doesn't and it can be the right move. We saw it with now obviously it's a much lesser version, but Hinky with MCW, where you trade him at the peak value. But that would have been a really gutsy call to make. Really, yep. like career-defining screw-up if you miss it. And it's fair to note that while Jacques Vaughn is obviously has the support to bench Ben, it's a very different situation than when... For sure. Than, so I guess the question is, is how much 
leeway do you think Doc and Brett had in their handling of Benson? I mean, I think if you bench Ben, certainly during Brett's tenure, you have to be ready for him to go nuclear and Mm -hmm. maybe not force his way out right away. But I think you have to acknowledge that as a possibility. And I think, especially when you talk about his representation and how they sort of go about doing their business. And I think Brett was a believer in Ben. So I don't think his mindset was quite as dire. I think he saw a lot of what Ben brought to the table at that point in his career and maybe didn't foresee how this was going to shake out. So I think I think Brett wanted to maximize within reason. I think he I think he I think he really valued Ben. Um, I don't think it was necessarily about leeway because I at least not organizational leeway. Maybe a little bit in terms of how Ben would react to it. I think it was a combination of getting the most out of Ben, engaging how Ben would react to something like that. And let's be honest, there's such a confidence issue, such a anxiety over shooting. I don't know if benching Ben would have had him overcome that anxiety issue. Like, I don't think that necessarily changes the equation anyway, if I'm being completely honest. Well, because I'm, seems- I'm a KOC truther. I think, yeah, I, th- I think you have to go back and have him shoot with the right hand at five years old. I think that, that's the genesis of a lot of this problem. Well, and, you know, Brett eventually lost it when he was saying that publicly that he should shoot. And if Ben has proven anything, it's not just a confidence issue, but if you say he should do one thing, yeah. he's like less likely to yeah. do it. Yep. And, and, and by the way, and this isn't like uh, defending Brett because I obviously can't stand Ben Simmons and I think was out on him very early in the, um, in, in the life cycle of the Sixers, but him being high on Ben Simmons is not like rare or controversial. No. You no. know, it, a lot of people were high on Ben Simmons. Um, and the same thing with doc, like, you know, docs completely lies to us all year about Ben and how we should cherish him. And he slips up once and Ben goes nuclear about it. Yeah. Like, again, I don't think it's necessarily organizational flexibility as much as it was like you're, dealing with a guy who could combust a little bit. Um, I think it was much more that. And the other thing that and is I, not- I, Like the reason that Vaughn can do it now is just because it's, first of all, your team expectations are so much lower and Ben's fallen so much. Like, yeah. We can talk all we want about, oh, we saw this. I don't think anybody saw this coming with Ben. Like he is so much worse of a player and he's so much less confident and he attacks so much less. He's not the same person he was three years ago. It's not even close. The other thing is that you can't ignore is that like, Ben being represented by like a major agency and clutch is not nothing. And if you like everything affects everything else. And I think as much as it was delicate with Ben, I think being delicate with how you treat a player who is part of an agency that is, you know, could be part of your future, you know, is something. Also notable, Joel still doesn't have an agent, right? He left CAA. I don't, I don't think no, he signed. worked. He worked with uh, Jimmy's agent uh, for his last contract, but it was sort of like a, a one-time sort of thing. Right. He does not have an agency. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Because it, it James does for the first time since 2017. But yes, Joel doesn't. Notable. Not it, well. He's got a, a minor decision coming up here. Yeah. I don't. You know, I, I, that's one thing I wouldn't read too much into it. Uh, but I, outside of the fact that he is trying to get his last his big payday. Uh, and that helps. All right. Thank you, Derek. Appreciate you sitting in for Mike. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I, I would like to say I'm sorry to the 
there's so many Celtics fans that listen after <laughs> Sixers lose to Wanted the Celtics. To see a Mike meltdown. Yeah. And like between you and me who had sort of the same view on the game, they just didn't get what they wanted. And I'm sorry for that. Like, I know we are, we, we're reliable in a certain way. And I apologize for that to all the Celtics fans. Spike uh, ending the podcast by apologizing to Celtics fans. Celtics fans, yep. Uh, you can sign up for Derek's newsletter and find out any other Sixers related things he might be doing at, is it the Daily Six or Daily no, Six? No, dailysix.com slash RTRS20. Yep. Is uh, C- yep. CJ put that in the chat as well. We'll put that in the uh, in the link. Appreciate you, man. I uh, are we going to be here in, in twenty thirty three doing the same thing? What else are we going to be doing, Spike? What right. else do we have in our lives? Um, well, you don't have to say the thing. I'll bring CJ on. So I, I mean, unless you want to say the thing at the end of the thing. Yeah, you know, look face. Huh? Ah, there it is. That's it. CJ and the pod. If you don't fuck with me. Then I, then I won't, won't fuck, fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing